While the world is quick to tell you all that it's against, Uptown Church wants you to know where for. We're for doing what's right and fixing what's wrong. We're for lifting up prayers and breaking down barriers. We're for the brightest, boldest, loneliest, finest, and most flawed among us. And most importantly, we're for you. Uptown Church. In the city. For the city. Okay, well today we are closing out with the movie, The Little Mermaid. Okay, whoa, some response, okay. Um, confession, I never really liked The Little Mermaid. Anybody else? Oh, oh. That's the first time I've ever got booed off stage almost. Oh. Um, no, I, I didn't. My parents, like all good Disney parents when I was a kid, took me to see the movie, then they bought it on VHS and they still have it somewhere in a storage unit, you know, those like crackly plastic tapes of The Little Mermaid. And they were so excited because it was Disney's big hit at that time. And I, I watched it once at home and once at the theater, and I was like, eh, and moved on. I think my mom was more devastated than I was. I, even at 10 years old, I knew, like, you know, a person throwing away their voice and their life for another person just seems wildly uh, irresponsible. <laughs> I, I was yeah, a different kind of kid. I was like, that, he, that guy's got good hair, but it is not that good. You don't throw it all away. But I, like many of you and many people, went to see the live action remake of The Little Mermaid. How many of y'all saw that here a month ago? Yeah, because, I mean, for nostalgia's sake, also I really, really wanted to know how Disney was gonna pull off a live action version of Under the Sea. Let me just say they nailed it. But when I went and saw the movie again, I was wrapped up in the story like I hadn't been when I was a kid. See, something grabbed me about the storyline that I didn't quite recognize, maybe went over my head as a kid, and I realized there is so much more going on in this story. I want us to take a look at the trailer and capture a little bit of that magic once again and some of this deeper storyline it begins to tell. So good. So good, let's just watch that. No, I, what that trailer begins to speak of is a much deeper storyline. And like I said, I never caught it as a kid. And I just thought, and maybe you have thought, that this story is simply the forbidden love story of two people from different worlds that don't belong to each other and can't be together. But there's so much more going on than the adolescent antics of just a forbidden love story. And the trailer begins to hint at that. And I think that's where we see the intersection of our faith and one of the deepest spiritual truths about our lives, especially as followers of Jesus. See, there's this story told from the first century, this ancient story told in the Bible by a man named John, and he was one of Jesus's earliest disciples and followers. And when he recounts the life and times of Jesus, he tells a story about a man and a woman meeting at a well. And they are from different worlds, different places, and their story and their chance meeting is about as unlikely as a sailor meeting a mermaid and falling in love. And this is what he tells us happens in this story. 
One day, Jesus left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now, he had to go through Samaria. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well, and it was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town nearby to buy some food and weren't with him. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. And our ancestors, they worshiped here on this mountain in this place. But you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is on a mountain in Jerusalem, not here. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me. A time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. A time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in the truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. And the woman said, I know that the Messiah called the Christ is to come and is coming. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us it will all make sense. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Jesus has this encounter with a woman, a Samaritan woman. And like the Little Mermaid, they are from different worlds. As she says to Jesus in this story, Jesus, Jews and Samaritans, we are not supposed to to associate with one another. Why, why are you talking to me? That woman is completely right to be hesitant in talking to Jesus at that time and place. See, there was deep-seated animosity between these two groups of people in the first century. And that animosity between them that had began centuries before them, when the ancient Israelite people from which they're both ascend, descended from, were conquered by the Assyrian people. And they broke apart, they were disbanded, and the Samaritans went off and lived life a different way, not quite as true, the Jewish people thought, to God and scripture as the Jewish people chose to go and live. So they have deep-seated rivalry around their religion and their cultural practices, the way in which they live life, but they also have racial differences and ethnic differences because the Samaritan people, the ancient Israelite people had begun to intermarry with the Assyrians. So Jews at that time did not see them as completely purely Jewish. And so there was all of this tension that had built up for centuries playing into this moment that Jesus and this woman meet. In fact, Jews would not self-respecting Jewish rabbis like Jesus, let me say, would not be caught dead talking to a Samaritan. In fact, it's why in a different part of scripture, we get a story featuring a Samaritan. Maybe you've read it or heard it, the good Samaritan, in which a Samaritan man helps a Jewish leader who has been robbed in the wilderness and has been left for dead that Jewish leader 
is in the wilderness because he was trying to travel back to Galilee like Jesus, but like any self-respecting Jewish person at the time, go around Samaria. There are stories in, in, in scripture. There's even this story at that time in the first century that highlights this animosity, this tension between them. And this belief that if a Samaritan person and a Jewish person were walking on a sunny day and the Samaritan shadow happened to cross the Jewish person's shadow, the Jewish person would consider themselves unclean and would have to go into the temple for ritual cleansing simply because their shadows intersected. So this is the type of segregation in which Jesus and this woman have experienced this hostile enmity between the two of them. And then this woman, she's in her town, her side of the city, and Jesus shows up at her well. She has got to be thinking, what are you doing here? You are not only the last person I expected to see here at this time, but you are the last person I want to see here. Scripture tells us that she goes at noon. Well, nobody went to gather water at noon. It was the high point of the day, the hottest point of the day. Everyone went to gather water and do that laborious work during the morning time to escape the heat. But she goes in the highest point of heat because she doesn't want to see anybody. Not only does she not want to see maybe another Jewish leader or person, because she doesn't on any day expect to see a Jewish person sitting at her well. She's going to avoid her own neighbors, which further tells us that this woman feels marginalized and stigmatized by her own people in her own society. And so you have this woman in Jesus who are part of different worlds. You have this woman that even in her own world feels like she's on the outside and marginalized and she comes and she meets Jesus. And she learns he is the Messiah. He is the one she's been looking for. Her people for centuries have looked for the Messiah that will come and make all things in her life right. And in that moment, she has this incredible interaction with Jesus and it's 42 verses, so I didn't put it all on the screen. But this incredible interaction where he digs into her life and heals so many of the wounds she's had and she finds in this moment transformation and healing. And it's an incredible moment and story. And they shouldn't be together, but it says Jesus had to go. He had to go. And aren't you glad Aren't you glad that Jesus had to go to Samaria and talk to that woman? That Jesus had to talk to a woman nobody else, even in our own culture and society, would talk to? Because what does that mean for us? It means Jesus had to go to Dallas. Jesus had to walk into your neighborhood. Jesus had to show up where you were at. Jesus had to come and be with us. That Jesus doesn't care what anyone says about you. Jesus doesn't care how anybody has labeled you. That Jesus doesn't care about the structures and the societal systems and cultural norms and status quo that we put in place that put people in their place. That Jesus has to come to us because he so loves us and he will break past any barrier, anything that would hinder 
our understanding of God's love for us that Jesus doesn't see like anybody else sees. Now, when Jesus sees the Samaritan woman, he sees a woman who needs hope. He sees a woman who needs wholeness and a woman for which he is willing to give his life. And when Jesus sees you and when Jesus sees me, he sees somebody worth giving his life for. Somebody he can bring wholeness to. He can bring hope to somebody's story. He can rewrite. And that's exactly what Jesus does. But here's the deal. That's a great story. And that's often, as far as we take that story, God comes to that poor woman, that poor soul, that poor unfortunate soul and saves her. And thank goodness, we're ready to break out and start singing amazing grace. God saved a wretch like her and God saved a wretch like me. Amen. We all know what it feels like to feel like a poor and unfortunate soul at times. And God meets us there and heals us. But that is not the full story. See, when Jesus reconciles this woman to God, when Jesus breaks down the divisions between this woman and God, Jesus also breaks down all division, all barriers, everything that would divide you and I. Jesus, when we get reconciled to God, we get reconciled to everyone and everything else too. That's the cross. It's not just us and God. It is us and others too. That's the vertical and horizontal truth of the gospel hope is that it's not just what happens between this woman and Jesus and it's not just what happens with us and Jesus. It's what happens with us and our entire world and any, anything, gender, race, classism, anything that would divide us is broken down when Jesus shows up on the scene. And that is what Jesus is doing in this moment. See, those, those poor disciples, they come back and they find Jesus talking to this woman at the well and they are wide-eyed. What are you doing, Jesus? This is when the ministry they think is about to tank, when Jesus' reputation is about to go to the dogs, when nobody is going to follow him anymore because here he is reconciling the Samaritan woman to himself and to God what they do not realize but come very quickly to learn is that in this moment, this is when the mission of God for the world bust open. When the very purpose of God coming to us and taking on our flesh and being with us because God is for us, that's when it's activated in the world. That's why John, when he tells this story, it is at the beginning of his book because he says, <laughs> You think the story is one thing? Oh, no, 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 no. It is about so much more. And if you read the work of Jesus in any other way than breaking down every barrier that would keep people not only from God, but from being reconciled and loving one another, then you have missed the point. Because when we are reconciled to God, we are reconciled to each other. See, Jesus lived in a world categorized by xenophobia, nothing we know anything about today. No, 
It's something we know something about still today. It's a problem we still struggle with. It's a human problem, not a them back in the first century problem. Is this propensity to fear those unlike us, fear of the stranger. Because we can't maybe categorize them or because maybe we too well can, cate- can categorize them. We fear, we put distance. That's your world and this is my world. But in this moment, in reconciling all things, Jesus says, you know what is the keystone of your faith? The keystone of your faith is not just what you think of me and how I think of you, but now the keystone of a follower of Jesus, of the mission of God in the world, is philozenia, or love of stranger. He says, the way in which you love the one not like you proves more than anything else your faith in and trust in the one who made you. It's not the words you can say about God, the religious practices and things you can remember and enact with accuracy and eloquence. He says, that doesn't prove your faith. That doesn't prove my love. The way you see the person who annoys you the most, who's hurt you the most, the person who makes you uncomfortable the most, the way you see them, that is what authenticates what you believe in your faith. Your faith becomes real when you meet the person you would least like to meet at the well. Amen? Jesus changes the entire paradigm And good thing he does, because how many of us are so sick of even in places and communities like this, the divisive rhetoric that puts someone over here and someone over here and makes us war with one another. That, Jesus says, was never the mission and heart of God. And I will give everything to prove it, even lay down my life. Makes me think of the Little Mermaid again. See, the whole storyline isn't about two star-crossed lovers. It's about two people who live in different worlds that are so afraid of one another. There's so much misperception about one another that they are caught up in the middle of warring worlds. And it doesn't make sense to them. But what I love is that the movie concludes And their union, their unity together as a couple is really not just about them, right? It's about the joining together of worlds that for so long didn't exist well together, existed in opposition. I want to take a look at the ending scene. I'm not singing. I love that and had never caught before. It's about their worlds coming together. For the first time in this movie and maybe in their movie story history, these people who have judged each other, who have feared each other, and you hear it all throughout the movie. Sailors saying, oh, beware the sea and the people who are gonna get you. And you hear King Triton warning Ariel, oh, those humans are bloodthirsty and out to get you. But then everything, their whole world is brought together. And that is the vision of God, the mission of God in the world. And when our vision of God and God's work is just us and about what happens in this room, we miss the point. We miss it. And it hurts us 
more so, I think. But it hurts other people too. And so, friends, where is your Samaria? Where is your shore, your well? Who are the people? Where are the places that it is uncomfortable for you to go? Is it it the cafeteria where you go to school or in your food lounge at work where, you know, those people who you're just different than or maybe speak a different language from you sit? Is it the person that when you walk into church maybe is panhandling on the side and you try not to look them in the eye because they make you uncomfortable? Is it estranged family members that you have, that there's animosity between? Where is your Samaria? Who are those people? God is calling you to break barriers down with. Jesus gives us one step in how we can do that. He says that those who will worship me will worship me in spirit and in truth. And and for us, that simply means those who will worship me will come to worship me in authenticity, will come to worship me as they are, realizing they are saved by grace, and that extends not only to them, but everyone else. Those who come to worship me as true worshipers in spirit and in truth are those who don't say worship happens over here, it looks like this, you have to believe this, you have to do that. Those people who come and give thanks for what God has done with contrite hearts and spirits, humbleness, humility. That's our first step is realizing we, we have met Jesus at the well. I love what Barbara Brown Taylor says in our faith, that the hardest spiritual work in the world is to love our neighbor as ourself, to encounter another human being, not as someone you can use, not as someone you can even go and change or fix or heal, but as a human being, somebody that you can't convince or control, but simply as somebody who can continue to spring you from the prison of yourself if you will allow it. Friends, Jesus is calling us to the well. And at the well with Jesus, at the well with Jesus, we find a greater story. We find a better way to be human, to live into the hope and grace of Jesus. So will you come to the well? Will you let God transform not only your life, but make you an instrument of God's peace and grace? Thanks for listening today. Want to connect with Uptown Church? Visit uptownchurchdallas.org or follow us on Instagram. And be sure to join us on Sundays at 10 a.m. for in-person worship at House of Blues in Dallas. God is with you. God is for you. Go in peace.